Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone and welcome to Battles. I'm your host, Marlon Anderson. This is a podcast all about journeys and overcoming adversity. I truly believe that every battle we face makes us stronger. And I want to hear from other people who believe that too. In this series, I'll speak to everyone from actors and entertainers, to motivational speakers, life coaches and beyond. From those in the limelight to those of extraordinary stories that haven't been heard, all journeys are important. We'll hear about battles they have overcome and battles they are still fighting, learning how we get through them and asking how they can make us who we are today. We'll also be finding out our guests' battle cry, their mantra to get them through the dark days. Battles is a podcast for everyone because everyone has battles to face. I hope you find lots of help and advice in these episodes and feel strong knowing that you can get through it too. Today's episode is a chat with Jen McKenzie. Jen has 18 years experience as a holistic therapist and Reiki practitioner in the wellbeing industry. She's a busy mum of four whose passion for helping people transform their lives, just like she did, is the driving force behind her businesses. The Healing Shed in Bedfordshire and her online coaching practice, The Conscious Living Coach. Before we start, I do want to let you know that this episode contains references throughout to alcohol and substance abuse, suicide and domestic abuse. If you've been affected by these issues in the past, then please listen on with caution or skip this episode and listen to one of our other episodes. I've put links to places where you can get support in the episode description, so please reach out if you've been affected. This was recorded a while back last year, so references to lockdown and the pandemic were correct at the time. A massive thank you to Jen for giving up her time to speak to me. Her journey is one of real courage and strength, and I'm so grateful to her for sharing it. Hey everybody, joining me today, I have Jennifer McKenzie, the Conscious Living Coach. Jen is a life coach, holistic therapist, meditation teacher, and a best-selling author. Jen, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I'm super excited. How's your day gone? Yeah, really good. Really good. What have you been up to recently? Anything Anything fun? I know we've just come out of lockdown. Things have been a bit tough, but what have you actually been up to? Talk to me. What have I been up to? I've been busy creating lots of workshops Okay, well, talk to me. What kind of workshops? So um, I'm a life coach, as you just said, and I've been creating New Moon Manifesting Magic. Love that. And the full moon, um, we've just had the full moon eclipse in Gemini. So I hosted a reset and release meditation workshop. You've got to send that to me after this. So oh, yeah. Am I too late, though, because the full moon was the other day? Yeah, I kind of need You've kind of come out of that now. Oh, well, hmm. <laughs> Thank you. 
So Jen, I understand you've overcome many obstacles of your own, including living with bipolar disorder, addiction, domestic violence, self-harm and suicide attempts. Now you're so, so brave to come on and share your story. I know you share your story often with your followers and on your platform. And it's just super brave for you to come on because not everybody opens up to, to trauma. And I'm in hope that this will reach people that need to be reached. So, yeah, let's start with your story, your journey. Where did it all begin with you? Go right back. Take your mind way back and let's go from the beginning. Okay, so if we want to go right back to the beginning, um, I was quite, well, I was labelled, let's say, um, a a difficult child, um, an emotional child. So my emotions were all over the place. Um, I was quite hyperactive and... um, when I got to school, kind of everything changed for me, really. Okay. Um, I felt like I didn't really fit in. Um, Why didn't you feel like you fit in? Was I it d- your appearance? Just... Was it the way you felt mentally? Or No, I just felt on the outside all the time. Like an outsider. Yeah. I've always kind of felt um, that I didn't belong anywhere. I, I didn't I fit I in. I did too, actually. I didn't fit in is what... Yeah. Um, you know, but... Starseed energy. Yes, if that's it. <laughs> but I, you know, I um, I had crystals ever since um, I was a little girl. So my grandpa introduced me to crystals, um, yeah. bless his soul. And I, I remember going round there and I was just fascinated. He had this like cabinet in his office that was just full of crystals that he'd collected like from all over the world. And I've still got this piece of um, leopard skin actually that he, he got from Africa. Oh. And um, yeah, so he had this whole like leopard skin, and I've got, I've still got a piece. Oh wow! That, um, I keep with, with along with um, a lot of the crystals that he passed down to me when he passed away. Um, but yeah, I so I've always had that spiritual connection. Um, so I collected crystals, I burned incense as a kid. I was a bit weird, and um, I love it. other love kids, weird. yeah, other kids thought I was weird, <laughs> and maybe that's you know maybe that's why I didn't really fit in. Um. But I got bullied at school, um, in middle school. I think it was where, yeah, I had a really tough time. Um, I had these little rosy cheeks and I was really small and kind of had bad hair. (laughs) How bad are we talking? (laughs) Um, Kind of like... (laughs) Go on. It was like really straight, mousy brown, like only to my chin. Oh, so it was kind like of a bowl cut. Kind of, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. and but I was, I was really outgoing then at that time. So despite the bullying, you were quite This confident. was before the bullying. So okay. I was um, a confident, outgoing, um, outspoken child. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would challenge people. And I wouldn't, I would stand up for myself. But um, I would love to sing, I'd love to dance, and I'd, I'd be in like the plays. But then these girls started to tease me um, and call me names. And it was like people who were supposed to be my friends. And do you know, it, it just squashed me. That's how I can describe it. It's, it, it literally squashed so- my, my personality and um, everything about me, really. So I started to become withdrawn. I started to think there was something wrong with me. Interesting. So do you think that this was a start of your lack of self-worth? 
Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And people it underestimate just, bullying at school, you know. Just, yeah, it stays it with start, you. Yeah, you're um, a child and you absorb it all in, and then it comes out as an adult, as I always say in every single podcast. But it wasn't just the children, it was one of the teachers. Okay. Um, now, I, I was a daydreamer. I, I didn't like sitting still at school. I didn't like doing work. I'm, I'm a creative, you yeah. know, and um, I like to be, do things hands-on. So sitting in a maths lesson was pretty boring for me. Um, and I remember I was daydreaming and I was, fiddling, I was looking at my pen. So I was thinking of taking it apart because I was interested in how it all worked. I, it, it's a really clear memory for me. And I, I didn't hear what the teacher said to me. And he slammed his hands down on the table and said, do you know what? A demented slug can do better than you. Wow. And the I, teacher said that? Yeah. And I just remember everybody laughing. And I just wanted the ground to like swallow me up, really. Um, because, you know, and then I got called demented slug as well for, for a while after that. And, and, you know, it's things like that that... The, that I really hung on to and I started to think that you know I wasn't good enough I wasn't clever I was stupid I was ugly because of like my rosy cheeks and and I was really small I wasn't developing as fast as like some of the other girls and things like that um and it gave me a big complex it really did I um and as I got into my teenage years I became extremely shy Wow, so you've gone from being confident yeah. to then becoming shy. Yeah. So the opposite of how you were. Yeah, and then I had my first taste of alcohol. Okay, and what age was this? Um, well, I did sneak some when I was about 10, um, like oh. from my mum's 40th party and me and um, another girl. But I'm talking like a sip, you know, like um, yeah. a couple of sips in a glass. But when I had like a proper drink, um, I was must have been 13. Okay. So I started young. So starting young, was this influenced by anybody else? Did you have people around you, aka your family or friends drinking? Or um, did you just were you always curious to drink? I was it was something that I was that sparked my curiosity. It was something that I wanted to do. Okay. And um I was excited to do. Um and I when I first had alcohol, um me and my friends got drunk together and it was like I'd found my superpower. Wow. That's but, a strong word to you, superpower. Mm, so it, you felt you mm, needed it? You felt it empowered you? Yeah, because it it stopped that voice in my head. It That's stopped good. me feeling like I was a nobody. I felt like I could be somebody. I could be whoever I wanted to be. And that's interesting because people turn to alcohol as a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. I know that for a fact. Mm -hmm. So when did bipolar disorder kick in? That came, the diagnosis came a lot later in life, in 2012. Okay, sorry, let's just rewind back then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, so talk me through, yeah, alcohol. So um, I started drinking and it soon became, uh, I, I was a heavy drinker straight away, really. So tell me on average what, how much you were drinking per week, per day, even. Um, we would we'd drink every weekend, so it would start off as every weekend. And we're talking getting smashed, you know, having a few wines with the girls. Or... No, I'm talking, I I drank, I didn't have an off button. I would be the one who wanted more. Yeah. I would be the one that was collapsed on the floor. Oh. I'd be the one going to hospital because I'd fall over and bang my head. I was the <laughs> one who was throwing up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't have that off switch. 
I didn't want to stop until I was made to stop by, you know, either passing out or by um, injuring myself or something. Why, why do you think that is? Do you, like, where did that come from, not having that off switch? Was there something that happened to you to make you... I know you got bullied at school, but mm. the correlation I'm trying to figure out is with the, the stopping point in alcohol mm. is quite interesting because obviously majority can, but some like drinking mm -hmm. to party. But for you, it was an escape. And clearly you didn't want to stop until you just blanked out. So I wonder why that is. I really don't know the answer to that. It, it was It was like I couldn't stop. So addiction was there from a young age, but okay. I let's take it back a little bit then. So I've I've always had um, obsessive behaviour. Okay. I've always been obsessive. So I would obsessively listen to a song on repeat, and then then I wouldn't listen to it ever again. I would obsessively like um, a certain person, and then I would then suddenly just hate them, like no, wow. not interested in you anymore. Did you recognise this? Only. To only when I've looked back in later yeah. life, yeah, not at the time, and it it's it was definitely there for because uh, so in my bedroom most kids are messy, little kids yeah are messy, but I was meticulously tidy. I had everything in its place. My bed was always made and no creases, anything. It was like military style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And my, I never got told to do it. I just did it. So you were you diagnosed with OCD at this point? Or no. never? I have been diagnosed yeah. with OCD, yeah. Um, that came with the bipolar diagnosis as well. Wow. I got a dual diagnosis um, in 2012. But um, so it's always been there and meant I've struggled with my mental health as far back as, as I can remember. And, and I I struggled with emotional regulation. Um, and For those that don't know what emotional regulation is, could you explain? So um, I would not be able to handle my emotions, so extreme emotions. Okay. So, um, you know, if if you feel sad, you can kind of control... You know you feel sad, yeah. but I would be like ultra sad, and then or I wouldn't be able to control my anger, so it'd be anger outbursts. So one um, extreme to to another. Yes, mm. yeah. Um, so and if I always remember, like, if I had plans and they got changed, it would send me off the rails. I would take it really personally. So so say if I like had a friend coming over, um, then something happened, they were ill or something like that and it couldn't happen and plans got changed, I would take it very personally and it would really upset me. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was just about to ask you, I was going to say, how did that affect your relationship with your friends and family? Did they find it hard to be around you? Yeah, yeah. Um, relationships have been extremely difficult for me. Um, the relationship with myself um, and the, everybody around me. Yeah. Yeah because um, I didn't understand what was going on in my brain. I didn't understand the world around me. And, and to hear you say that, uh, it's awful, because I know how it feels like to be trapped with your own thoughts in your head and not understand what goes on. And I think so many people are living with that, without a diagnosis, living with mental health and not understanding what's going on with themselves. And that's why I'm so happy that you're here speaking about it. Because mm. someone can listen to this and be like, shit, mm -hmm. that's going on in my head too, and I don't quite get it, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think the mind, um, 
I I describe it as being a prisoner in my own mind. Yeah. And I think that it can be one of the most scariest, loneliest places to be. A million percent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the the kind of the goal is to get out of your mind and not yeah. let your thoughts like control you. They say that you are not your mind, and I, I understand that now. But yeah. it's bloody difficult. Yeah, it's taken me yeah a long time to, so, to get to where I am now. So you you started to realize well, you didn't realize at the time, but you, so you went through bipolar disorder, addiction. What came after that? Where where did domestic violence start and the self harm and the suicide attempts? At fourteen. 14 years old. So, um, yeah, one of my um, earliest boyfriends was quite possessive and um, I wanted to go to town on the bus with a friend and he, he would, you know, would not want me to go and just throw stones at me, I think, once um, and be like, you know, where the where the hell do you think you're going and this stuff, what, what are you doing, who are you going with? So it, it, I've been in controlling relationships throughout my life. And since I first started having relationships. And is this down to your lack of self-worth? Absolutely, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people miss that point. Yeah. yeah. And they, they don't understand why they end up with people that are controlling them mm -hmm. and abusing them. It's because they don't work, they don't rate themselves yeah. enough to leave because they think that's what they deserve, right? Yeah, and I didn't have any uh, boundaries. I didn't have any self-worth. I, I, I thought I was worthless and that, you know, I, I felt I didn't have a voice. I felt I didn't have control over anything um, that was happening to me. And and I and my first suicide attempt was um, at 16. What because um, I, do, I just wanted to get off the roller coaster. I didn't, I didn't understand myself. I was drinking. And then when I drank, I became um, a not very nice person. Mm. And it was like I was two different people. And then I couldn't live with the aftermath. Mm -hmm. um, and I honestly thought that everyone was better off without me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how, what happened when you were 16? Um, I was living with my dad at the time. And... I had a bottle of vodka and in the house there was, I think, 45 um, painkillers and I took them all at once. And I went to sleep and I thought, that's it, I'm not going to wake up. But I woke up in excruciating pain and with kind of yellow froth, froth coming out of my mouth. But you survived it. The I universe did. was telling you, girl, you're not ready to leave yet. I know, exactly. And, you know, I'm a great believer in that, that... I it I wasn't it wasn't my time, um. But I so I did have to go to hospital, um. But nothing happened. I didn't get any support. So it what all you're got forgotten me about. That happened. You went to hospital and then you just carried on living no normally. Yes. So were you carrying on kind of bef where you left before you tried that? Yeah. Come back to that. I just went. Yeah. It was like it. It you know nobody ever talked about it again really. Um, I didn't see anybody as a follow-up, um, no mental health support whatsoever. Um, and I just carried on, on this, this pe perpetual cycle of drinking and um, self-sabotaging, really. So with the self-harm, where did that begin? Was it with the drinking? Was it after when it was, when you were on a low after drinking? Um Okay, so 
I would just share something very personal. Um, I actually fell pregnant when I was like 15. Yeah. And then um, I I didn't have the child. Yeah, so you had an abortion. Mm, mm. And uh, yeah, it was around the, that time that I started to but As a up. woman, you made the choice which was right for you at that time. Uh, yes, yeah. I felt that that was the right choice. Yeah. But... It's you, the pain still. So the pain there. thing is, I understand yeah, what you're yeah. saying. It's yeah, something that you had to kind of live with. It wasn't a choice I wanted it wasn't to make. A choice, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, it, it happened, and 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 I had to make a choice. Um, but I felt awful, and for making that choice. When I was. 19 um i fell pregnant with my first daughter and that i was over the moon i was really happy because we me and my partner at the time we planned her and yeah we were just really excited and i couldn't wait to be a mum and it yeah when she it was just it was great i loved being a mum i took to being a mum like straight away and i finally thought oh this is me this is like me getting my life sorted this is yeah. the family unit that security that i've always wanted and it, things were up and down with me and my partner and it, it didn't work out. And then I had my second daughter in 2005. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after that got in a very abusive relationship um, with, he uh, was just a psycho. <laughs> Mm. Um, really damaged. I think he totally had mummy issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had his own stuff going on, his own trauma, and reflecting that onto you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was like you know, slowly but surely, kind of monitoring my calls. It'd be like, well, where I don't you think you're wearing the wrong clothes? Wanted to buy me like granny cardigans and stuff like yeah, that. Well, cover me the, up. The controlling aspect comes yeah, through. Telling um, what to wear. Yes. Sounds like every mm. narcissist and abuser mm. is part of the same DNA, and they're yeah. made in a and it goes in a, in, a, in a robot machine, and they all come out the same. Yeah, it's and weird. it goes through the same process. Yeah, they, every time. It's very charming. Lure you in. Oh, yeah. Love bomb you. Yeah. Tell you you're beautiful. Give you gifts. <laughs> yes. Promise Twats. you the world, <laughs> and then it starts. They get they get their claws into you, yeah, and then it starts. And they, you know, he, um, you say things to me like, "Oh, you've got a body of a forty year old," and all this stuff. And I'm approaching forty now, and I must say, my, you? Body, my you do not look. 40 my body is the best all. it's ever been. So, up girl, yours. you look good. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and he, I remember my grandpa died, and he just didn't give a shit. He wanted to go to the pub. He's like, you've got some money so I can go to the pub. And I was like, oh, are you serious? Wow. I'm like trying to grieve here. And like, I'm, I've just just got the phone call. I want to leave the pub. I want to go home. I don't want to be out in public. He's like, well, you can go. Just give me some money to stay. I'm like, what? There, there, there's complete lack of empathy there. And we had a big argument. And, and I remember whilst, whilst I was pregnant, actually, he came in um I was in bed with my first daughter and he came in and dragged me by my foot um out of bed wow and tried to throw me down the stairs in front of your daughter she was asleep in bed like I was pregnant I was about four months pregnant I think and um 
he tried to throw me down the stairs. And from somewhere, the adrenaline kicked in and I, I picked him up, threw him over my shoulder down the stairs. Wow. Yeah. And do I thought, I ain't going. I'm no. carrying a human and my daughter's in bed. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm not going down them stairs. No. Yeah. And so from some somehow I had this strength in me, but he did grab me and then he bit my hand. And like, yeah, um, like till it drew blood. Um, uh, I had, Then I, I remember it was then Mother's Day and I remember walking. I didn't have anyone to really talk to. Um. I was. I remember walking just to get out of the house. I just walked around town with the buggy and my daughter, and I was just like, oh, "I don't really know what to do. I don't know who to turn to." I did phone the police. So did you feel like you had lack of support? Oh, I just do. You know what? I it's just lonely, felt it's lonely, alone all my most of my life. Mm. That's so sad to hear, Jen. <laughs> because God, I don't know what to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is pretty sad. Yeah, I did feel pretty alone. Um, but the police came and like changed the locks for me and stuff like that. And um, you know, I I never really spoke to him again after that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Prick. So, but you know, the, it lasts. And even talking about it now, it it's, it it's brings still... up emotion. And yeah. do you know what? This is a thing, and I think we underestimate talking. And I think talking is so important in order for us mm-hmm. to heal. But when I speak about things that I've gone through, it still triggers an emotion within me and it yeah. and it comes out whether it's crying or I want to drink or, you know, and we can't just heal all of a sudden and be, be okay. But what you've faced mm. is such a journey, but you're so empowered now, yeah. you know, you're sat here speaking to me about your story mm. and you've been through it, yeah. you know. I've been a strong, I've always been a strong woman and I was labelled um, in like my friendship group as the strong one. You know, I wouldn't, you would never see me crying in front of people. I was the strong one and I put on a hard face. But where did those emotions go? They went inside me and wow. they got squashed and and then I would drink. So the drinking never stopped? Nah, nah. It, it, you know, it, for periods of time, yes. I had periods of where I was okay and periods where I didn't drink. Let me let me pick you at this drinking mm. because I think it's interesting for people to know because I've, I've, I've experienced it. Mm. Did you go through periods of sobriety? Did you find it difficult to stick to it? Did you go from one extreme to the other? Did you have times where you just wanted to drink and you had to drink? Or, mm. we, I understand it wasn't a smooth sailing ride, but what was that journey in your mind like with drinking? Okay, so um, I've always been a binge drinker. Yeah, okay. Um, until I got badly into, I would, I call it uh, the height of my madness. Yeah. Um, We've all had a height of madness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I would just have the urge to drink. So like, the urge would be out of nowhere. There was nothing triggering it. You didn't suddenly wake up feeling sad or something happened on that day where you wanted to turn to drink. It would just be literally an urge. I would drink if I was happy. I'd drink if I was wow. sad. I'd drink if I was okay. I'd drink for an occasion. Okay. Yeah. I'd, you know, break a nail, drink. Break a nail, drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So it was just... A, and then um, I actually ran pubs when um, I was 18. God, well, that didn't help, <laughs> did it? Girl... <laughs> You had it on tap, literally. Yeah, literally on tap. Um, 
Yeah, so, so that was big part of my drinking culture because I would drink with drink with my um, my customers and yeah. we'd have lock-ins and things like that. And the group of people that we had great fun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but then there was that, so it wasn't that bad then. I mean, it, it that I would say my early the drinking then in my sort of through my twenties was bad, but. It got bad when um, I was about twenty-five, I think. Why is that? And, uh, because I I was then a single mum of two children. Yeah. Um, and I'd so gone, life got I'd harder gone back to work. To drink more. Yeah, mm. I didn't have that support from um, my ex-partner. He'd moved on, and it was with somebody else. And Wait, were you drinking then, whilst on medication? By the way, would you, or did you not want to go there? Um. I wasn't on medication at this point. Okay. Um, because I hadn't been diagnosed. Oh. And still, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I was still, like, um, in my 20s. So, yeah, it would it would just go round and round. So, um, I was a single mum. I had um, a decent job. I was selling new homes at this point. Um, and, yeah, and it, it just started to spiral then. 25 years old you know you're drinking you're, you're taking drugs with your drink is it as often as it was before or it was it a bit more tame so then it's like um i'm drinking i would say more at weekends partying okay. with my friends and then until it i start to feel that it's taking over and then um it started to be like oh, i'll have a drink midweek and then it got to me just drinking on my own, say, two bottles of wine every night. Yeah. Yeah. So you're drinking on your own? I'm drinking, yeah. I, so I go to work yeah. in the day. Um, outwardly, my life looks amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm young. I'm single. I have a nice car. I have a nice house. Um, I have a decent job. Um, and I have friends. But then when I finish work I pick the kids up and I go home put them to bed and I drink two bottles of wine by myself Shit. and that's yeah and and then it it got hold of me I felt like the alcohol really got hold of me then um that it became like I couldn't be without it were you having any help for this did you speak to anyone did you open up to anybody about it your friends your family yeah therapy? my family were worried um 
about me. My dad did drop me off at an AA meeting. Um, wow. Yeah. And said, you know, try it out. So they, they've always been worried about me. They've, and it's, so they saw this all kind of unravel, I guess, for your life. Yeah. Yeah, and then you were know, you, were I, you aware of how they were feeling? Did it? Did you take into con- consideration about how it was affecting them and impacting them? No, because it was all about me. Yeah, you this know? is the thing. When yeah. you're going through addiction, it is all about you. Yeah, it's selfish. It is very yeah. selfish. Yeah, and it, yeah, it was all about me, and I need it. And who the fuck are you to tell me what to do with my life? It was a bit like that. I'll do what I want, and if I want to drink, I'll drink. But you yeah. know, the the ripple effect of that. Um, I started not to go to work, um, you know, and or I'd have arguments at work. It would affect my my inner being. How bad was everything around you becoming because of this? It was starting to fall apart, and then I was using cocaine like to get me through the day. It would be like so you know, so, no alcohol. Well, I drink at night, but during then, the day, yeah. And then I would, yeah, sometimes I didn't sleep. How many days would you say you didn't sleep? I'm going to wake up with, I'm going to have a cup of coffee and a line and I'm going to go and try and go to work. So it became normality and part of your routine. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously then it started to really fall apart where um, I crashed my car. um, So I lost my car. I I lost my job. Then my children um, had to go and live with their father. Because, um, you know, I wasn't particularly capable of being a, a parent. And when you say that out loud now, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel sick. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? It was the hardest, it was the most heartbreaking thing I ever did. But they needed to be, I needed to go and sort myself out. They needed to be safe and That was secure. the best decision for them. Yes, it was for them. It wasn't for me. So and when they when they were with him... How did your life become? Was it, was it then that you kind of... No. no. It made me worse. Because wow. the pain... Uh, you know, you think that would have made me... Give me a kick up the arse to, to sort myself out. But it, the pain, it made me worse. And so I just numbed it. And yeah. then I lost the house. Vicious I lo- cycle. I lost everything. I basically... I lost everything. I, I had to... At uh, 29 years old, I had to move in with my mother... And all my furniture and everything had to be stored away. And I I had nothing. I had no job. I had no car. Um, I, I had just this terrifying addiction. And this, this, this chimp on my shoulder just, you know, telling me that it's everybody else's fault and I'm this victim in life. But I did go and get some help and I, I slowly started to try help? and understand... And I said to my doctor, I was like, this isn't right. My head is not right. These feelings, I, I don't know what to do with them. But what made you go to the doctor and ask him? What was that turning point in your mind? Like, but, I need help now. Yeah, because I was like, this, you know, this isn't just alcoholism. This isn't just addiction. This is something more. This is, you know, the the paranoia, the up, the extreme highs, the extreme lows, the... It wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and then he referred me actually to um, a psychiatrist. And I, in 2012, I got a diagnosis of OCD and bipolar disorder. And do you know what? That was so brave because I think a lot of people need to understand that the first step is 
self-acceptance and being honest with yourself and how you feel. And only then can things get better because a lot of us are in denial, you know? I was in, I was in denial and I was just blaming everything around me. And we, you know, I was responsible for taking that first step. I was responsible for the, for the unborn child inside me. I am a responsible mother for the two children that, you know, needed me as well. And I had to take responsibility for my life. And I got this diagnosis. Do you know, I finally, I felt heard for once in my life. Wow. Um, Like a light bulb. Yeah, and I felt heard. And I I felt something kind of made sense I felt like I wasn't a horrible person I wasn't mad um, I wasn't crazy I had a chemical imbalance in my brain yeah and it wasn't an excuse for behaviour it um, it felt like I, it made sense and I researched bipolar um, and I I got to know myself yeah. I got to know my condition Um. And it it was a very bumpy ride because I had my daughter and, you know, the hormones then yeah. with um, having her and, you know, what that does to your body anyway, without the... Plus having bipolar disorder, it just messes up your, your hormones even more. And... Yeah, I I managed to I got housed and had my daughter and was coming to terms with having bipolar disorder and things were pretty good for a while. And then I met my son's dad and we had um it was a, a very intense straight away relationship I suppose. And um, we would spend lots of time together, but we would drink together quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, my, my daughter was only six months old and I fell pregnant with my son, mm-hmm. which was a massive shock um, to both of us. Um, unplanned. Yeah. But we, because um, we were using precautions and everything like that, but. It was well a miracle. Let's call yeah. him a miracle, <laughs> um, because his dad actually was treated for cancer and wow. was told that he might not be able to have children. So we, yeah, we Aww. say that you know he is definitely meant to be. Yeah. So um, I had my son, and we we were happy for a little while. But the you know my bipolar, his drinking, uh, didn't really go together. Um, you yeah, know, I he was drinking every single day. I tried to then approach him. Did about... that trigger you at all? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, then I was, like, trying to stop. And I was like, I can't live my life surrounded by cans of Stella anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I just, can you not drink in the house? After everything you'd like... gone through with, yeah. with drinking and to, to have to do that again, basically, with somebody yeah. else. No. And I did have an episode of psychosis. Um, when my son was um, small, talk me through that. What, what, what's a, what's oh, an episode was, of psychosis? Oh like? my god, it was terrifying. Um, I remember sitting there. We had his parents over. Um, I remember sitting in the lounge, and I started to hear things. 
and I felt weird and I, I felt really dizzy and I was like, I need to go upstairs. So I went upstairs and I shot myself in my room because I felt like people were trying to get in and then I opened the bedroom door and, wait, don't laugh, but I saw cats, right, me Meowing. I shouldn't laugh. Oh, no. But... The way you were just saying it, like, I saw cats. I'm like, what kind of were they? Yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, it was weird. So I had to shut the bedroom Shit. door. This then... was this was on no alcohol, no, this no drugs. This no, was just... this is a normal day. This is like a Sunday afternoon. Fuck. And I'm sitting in the bedroom and then I could hear somebody at the window. So I had to have the curtain shut. I had my headphones on. Um, I had the TV on. I had a laptop on trying to shut out all this noise and then I started panicking and I was like the cats are trying to get in there was a man trying to get in um, and it, I barricaded myself in the room so they, I had to have the crisis team out wow um, and be like um, sedated yeah it's, do you remember it or is it a bit blurry to you thinking back I couldn't I, you to don't... be honest I can just remember the cats wow yeah I was, like, see... I, I was like are there cats there I was like, I can see them. They're there. Um, and, yeah. And there was, you know, a few episodes like that um, of mania. Yeah. I remember I had the ambulance paramedic guy there in the garden. They were all, everyone was trying to calm me down. And I was like, what are you doing here? You've been here so long. You know, I'll charge you rent in a minute. And all this stuff. Oh, my and God. Like, and then I ran barefoot. I ran away barefooted up to the woods and hid in the woods because I thought they were trying to take me away. Oh, it's, it, yeah, it's, it was really terrifying. I ended up splitting from my son's dad because, it, you know, we were due to get married and um, it was five months before my wedding. I was like, I... What happened was I did my Reiki Master Teachers um, certificate. It was on a full moon on Halloween. Imagine the energies doing my Master Teachers training. And um, I I just then looked at him after that. Because you know energy work, like... um, it shifts you, doesn't it? And 100%. it's like when you're doing that sort of stuff, it's totally expanding your consciousness and changing your beliefs and the way you look at life. And it, part of my awakening that was yeah. um, when I did that course. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, this is not what I want. And, um, you know, he would, would un- he would follow me around and say, oh, I don't want to be a fucking carer. You know, and I was, and I had bipolar, and it was, yeah, it was that. like he didn't understand, no. and and you know he called me, um, yeah, a bad mother. He goes, no wonder, you know, the kids aren't with you. Look at the state of you. Um, these two are too young and too dumb to uh, realize what you're like. Um, yeah, so mental abuse. They prey um, on your weakness, yeah, and your vulnerability. Um, mental abuse, yeah, and it and it's it was awful and I ended up um, thinking do you know what he's right he's right so you started to believe him yeah and um, the kids were at school I planned um, I, I planned to kill myself in 2015 yeah um, I was like right uh, you know I, I can't get out of this this um, 
of my head. I can't seem to. I I do well, and then I I go down the pan. So like and a, it was you, like, you're on a straight, not narrow path, and then mm-hmm. you get steered off again. Yeah, and yeah. You, you couldn't. You, oh, and couldn't I, I just kept like. hearing those those words. You know, you that. And I thought, do you know what? Everyone's better off without me. So yeah, I I slit my wrists. Um, yeah, in the bathroom. And do you know, um, one of my friends, I think what happened was um, she's, I, she got a text from me and she was like, oh, my God, something's not right. So she phoned my dad, she phoned her brother-in-law, she and phoned then the ambulance and they all come banging. Because I, I turned the keys in the door as well, so I, they couldn't get in with spare keys. And I was determined that that was my time. And... Uh, yeah, I was unconscious when they got there. Um, but then I kind of remember looking up and saw my dad's face. Uh. Yeah. Then I, that's an image I'll never forget, you know, seeing his daughter covered in her own blood, in a pool of her own blood in the bathroom. And and I, I got sectioned. And... I went and went to the hospital. I, was, I woke up all bandaged up, and I remember waking up, thinking of being angry. So I tried to go home to get tablets to, to finish myself off, and that's when they sectioned me, and uh, they said, "This is not, you know, this isn't involuntary. This is you are going because you know this isn't your choice now. You're going yeah. to go and get help." And I had to spend uh, some time in a secure unit. And in, it was then I had um, a spiritual awakening. Wow. So it was whilst you were in mm-hmm. the psychiatric ward, you yeah. had your spiritual awakening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those listening, mm-hmm. if you know, you know, yeah. the spiritual awakening will change your life forever. Mm-hmm. So on the up note, let's talk yeah. spirituality and how you turned your life around, Jen. So I was in this um, secure unit. It, it was very odd. Um, I, I didn't want to wash. I was still in dirty clothes. I still had blood on me, like, two days in. Like, I just was like, no, no. And I remember going to the canteen to get some food. And um, someone had dropped some of my stuff off. And in my stuff was one of my books, the big book of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, my mm. big, the big blue book for those that know will know. <laughs> um, and I went back to my room, and on top of my book was a white feather. Wow, I've got shivers. Yeah, me too. Every time I talk <laughs> about this, um, and I looked around, I was like, everything in here is plastic. The windows don't open. You're literally like, there's no there's no possibility it was in the right in the middle this white pure white feather on top of the book and I dropped to my knees wow I, I dropped to my knees and sobbed yeah I'm getting I'm getting well enough <laughs> and it's it's the it's a moment where you you just know and yeah. you understand what what life is going to be for and a light switched back on yeah. Yeah. It's the best way of describing it. And I laid on the bed and I went, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I can't. And 
and I did. I made a promise to myself. I would never give up again. Mm. And here you are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that became the basis of my recovery. Like, you know, I tried everything. Um, and I've been, I was on a holistic pathway anyway since like yeah. my oldest daughter was six months old. I started training to be a reflexologist and I did my anatomy and physiology diploma because, um, you know, the human body, the human mind yeah. absolutely fascinates me. And <laughs> my mum was quite holistic anyway, is quite holistic. Um, she's quite holistic. So um, as a child, she would use like essential oils on me and things like yeah. that and always like cook organic foods and grow these sprout things, alfalfa sprouts here. So she's always been a bit hippie um, like that. So it was it was in me anyway. And I'd love my crystals and I'd love the moon um, yeah. since I was a kid. So, it, But it was always that duality of this light and this dark for me. Yeah. The, they were always fighting, mm -hmm. um, which is like your ego and your and your higher being. Yeah. Um, and I had to, you know, tell my ego to sit down and shut up. Yeah. And, and realise that I was the only one standing in my way. And that you know, my suffering was self-inflicted Okay. by the way I was thinking. So what helped you from then on? What helped you? What kind of tools helped you to so, get onto this, this path that you're on now? So I had my um, Reiki training. Yeah. So I'd done my one and two. And then in the, like the year before, I'd done my master teacher's training. And um, I was, I've been a holistic therapist, a um, reflexologist, a massage therapist. So I had this knowledge of yeah. energy. I had this knowledge of mindfulness and, and the very basic kind of knowledge of it. I didn't pay too much attention, I must admit. And then I started meditating. Um, Game and, changer. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I actually did a course, um, a DBT course, so dialectual behavioural therapy, and and it's very mindfulness based, yeah. and it talks about like um, rational and emotional mind. So in it, it it teaches you to regulate your emotions, and it really helped me, and my meditation practice, and I slowly started to shed this trauma wow i slowly started to uh, learn to like myself and then that progressed to love um i started with baby steps and and it's That's been what it's about it's baby steps an incredible journey in the last five years and um, and in 2016 i was like do you know what i've got these skills i've got this passion I've got no money, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so I started my business from home in my lounge. Um, and I started with like some Greiki clients. Yeah. And, and I've slowly built it up and I've added to my skill set. I learned to be a meditation teacher because meditation saved my life. I say this to everybody. Yeah. Meditation is I, Yeah. I, I do believe this. Meditation saved my life. It allows your mind to just mm. be calm and to, to, and to become nothing for a while. It mm -hmm. empties your head. It frees you from thoughts and mm -hmm. what to do next and what haven't I done and what's, yeah. what am I eating tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, it's, the best, it's the best tool ever. Mm -hmm. We're so busy. And in, in this day and age, everything's so now, now, now. And everything's like 24 hours accessible. 
And, you know, when do we have that time to switch off? When do we have that time to to connect with ourselves? Because that relationship that you have with yourself is the most important one ever. A hundred percent. So with your... With what you do now, your work, you're helping other people, mm-hmm. you know, you're helping them through their journey yeah. because I think nothing more better than somebody that's gone through it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can relate, you understand that person. How much joy does it bring you helping others? It, it's, I don't even call it work. It, it's, my, it's just my mission. It's, it's my life mission. purpose. And in, yeah, my work is my everything. And yeah. what I do is everything because... I know what it's like to be alone and I I share my story. I speak publicly like on social media platforms and um I've most recently wrote a chapter in a book collaboration which I've got right in front of me <laughs> called Love Thy Body Real Life Stories of Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm excited to read this, Jen. Yes. So there's 23 women and I am one of those and we've um, each wrote a chapter about our journey with self-love. Amazing. For those listening to this and those that are relating to your story, what is your mantra, so your battle cry to get you through your darkest days? What has been that little kind of quote or paragraph whatever it may be what what is it just to never give up wow Strong um, my favorite song and it was it was funny because i just heard it before we came in here and my song since um i've been 14 is candy staten and the source you've got the love i love that song um, <laughs> it's my anthem and it's so strange that Oh, it's not strange at all. It's not. Come, a, come on. on, it's not a coincidence. Jenny, no, Davis. no, it's a nothing sign. is. Uh, <laughs> it's a sign. It's an absolute sign. And it's interesting because you say never give up, and I think it's the most important piece of information you could give to somebody because we can all have relapses. We can all take two steps back, one forward, three steps back, two forward, and I think that is part of life and the journey that you're on. And for anybody listening, Jen is a perfect example of not giving up because she sat here in front of me and she's here telling her story. And I admire you so, so much, Jen. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and speaking your story and sharing your truth. Honestly, you are a star. Thank you so much. So where can everybody find you on? What's your Instagram? Okay, um, my Instagram is the conscious living coach. Love it. Yeah, my um, business is called Luna Spirit Wellbeing and you can find that under The Healing Shed as well. So search either of those and I will come up. And for those that don't know, Jen does my Reiki. <laughs> I do the, the two-hour bliss full body massage, Total which I love. body bliss. It's amazing. Um, my signature treatment. Yeah. And where can we find your book? So Love Thy Body. So um, the book is available um, in paperback on Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jen. You are a legend. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of Battles. If you've been affected by anything you have heard in the show, you can find links to support services in the description. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review too. It makes all the difference. Battles is a Studio 71 production and is hosted by me, Marlon Anderson. I'll see you next time.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.